Hello and welcome to Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it and then we uh, have a little chat about it. I am so excited about today's episode because we are dipping into my collection and watching one of my all-time favorite films, Point Break. You love it so much that you once reenacted it with your friends in the park. Yes, this is for a friend of the show, Chad Hines' is uh, I guess 22nd birthday, I want to say. But uh, yeah, in Dolores Park in San Francisco uh, before a rapt audience. We performed in a bridged version. When I say we, I mean uh, Chad as Johnny Utah, a friend of the show Philip Laird as uh, Bodie, and myself as Pappas and other characters. Yeah, you're pretty much everyone else. Yeah, I'm pretty much everyone else. We uh, we had to trim some of the roles. There was no Tyler. Pretty much reduced to a three-hander, pretty much, for this production. And we were yeah. inspired by... Can I say it's... it's... It's interesting that you were able to so easily cut Tyler out of the film, and that's something that we could talk about later. Oh, definitely. We were inspired by another production called Point Break Live, which uh, I think still tours to this day, but kind of capitalizes on the fact that this is an extremely wild and crazy action movie that does not lend itself very well to being performed in a stage version, (laughs) because... There's so many stunts. There's uh, surfing, football on the beach, parachuting, bank robberies, Gary Busey. There's just so much going. Car chases, foot chases, throwing pit bulls at people. Like, the list goes on and on. It's just every radical thing you could think of, and and then some. But, uh, Lindsay, this was your very first experience with Catherine Bigelow's masterpiece, Point Break. <laughs> had you known of this film, or had you seen it prior? The only thing I'd seen from this is your guys' reenactment on YouTube. I hope that didn't spoil some of the uh, plot twists. No, not at all, because it was incomprehensible. Yeah. I, I mean, not, not, <laughs> not to uh, deride your guys' performance. After, after seeing the movie, you guys did, I know you guys did a great job. It's just... Like you said, it doesn't lend itself to these kinds of stage productions. This is directed by Catherine Bigelow, the first woman to win an Academy Award for Best Director for this film. I mean, for The Hurt Locker. You wish it was for this I mean, film. I think, I mean, I love The Hurt Locker, don't get me wrong. I was rooting for it. But I think that the Academy was sort of thinking, like, this is really just, you know, an apology for not awarding... Bigelow for Point Break. Well, you you make a lot of connections to the Hurt Locker from this film, right? You you there's there's a lot that can be tied together, and Catherine Bigelow definitely has clear interests in her work. There's a little. I'm not a, a full subscriber of auteur theory. I know that you know filmmaking is a collaborative process, and it should be mentioned that uh, Catherine Bigelow at least isn't credited as a writer on either this or Hurt Locker. On this, it, it's uh, W. Peter Illiff, and Hurt Locker is Mark Bowl, who also won an Oscar. But I find it very interesting that she's drawn to these films about men who seek thrills above all else, kind of these adrenaline junkies who are willing to put everyone around them, including themselves, at risk to kind of you know, feed that fire. And of course, in Hurt Locker, it's Jeremy Renner's um, bomb tech character in Iraq. 
But in this, it is Patrick Swayze as uh, Bodhi, the Bodhisattva. Um, a man who lives his life as if each day is his last. The, the kids nowadays would say he's woke. Well, I don't know if he's necessarily woke. I mean, he he steals from a lot of like Eastern philosophy. He's kind of fused with his own. But... He's a, he's appropriated a lot of stuff and seems to embody. He thinks, and the people around him think wakefulness and like an awareness of everything around you and this appreciation for this like essentialized form of life. Definitely. And I think that he has sort of the hippie surfer vibe going on. Yeah. Like, what's mine is yours. And, like, he has a very laid-back attitude. And he's careful to draw a line in the sand between people like Warchild, you know, those other surfers that are uh, involved the, in the drug smuggling. The bad surfers. The evil surfers with the, the pit bulls. Yeah, the, the ones that uh, Keanu Reeves or Johnny Utah uh, originally thinks are these ex-presidents. Maybe we should summarize it for a second, because I didn't know anything about this movie. Yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. I shouldn't assume that everyone listening to this has seen Point Break. If that's the case, you should probably stop this podcast and watch this great film. The original 1991 Point Break. I hate that I have to say that. Because but... Google thinks you always mean the 2015 or whatever version. Yeah, sorry, I'm going off on like three or four tangents, because I'm really excited to be talking about this movie, but... It does bum me out that in 2015, there was a remake. Nobody saw it. Uh, whenever you mention Point Break to someone, they know that you're talking about this film. I mean, this is such a cult classic. Uh, and yet Google seems to think that if you look for Point Break, you mean that great 2015 movie with the... Uh... I actually can't think of it. Edgar, oh, Edgar Ramirez. <laughs> you can't even think of who's in it. Ray Winstone. <laughs> But essentially, this version of Point Break, the original Point Break, is about a young FBI officer, completely fresh young man. A real who... blue flame special. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> who gets paired up with Gary Busey, who's kind of eccentric and jaded. They have to investigate these bank heists that have been going on they happen every summer right during surfing season and they need to f identify these guys who call themselves the ex-presidents they they put on nixon reagan carter lbj lbj halloween masks and rob banks and they're really really great at it and they just like run in and out 60 seconds in and out never go in the vault you know all they the lines. They are ghosts. <laughs> you know so, all the lines. Sorry, continue. But essentially, it's them trying to find these guys. They realize that they're surfers thanks to some soil samples on something, Well, this right? is actually a theory that Gary Busey has. And everyone has right. written it off as sort of, you know, oh, he's the old crank who's kind of losing it. But, Which he is kind of losing yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> granted. But Keanu Reeves or jo Johnny Utah buys into it and he's willing to go undercover and it's convenient it. that he already has his bill and ted accent going from the very beginning before he even needs to go undercover so it's like he's not even having to try to pretend not to be an fbi agent because he's ready for the waves 
This was a 20th Century Fox selection. That same ad again. Well, it's not the same ad, but it's essentially the same ad. It's just like them throwing as many of their quote-unquote selections at us as possible to the point where we don't even really know what all we're looking at. Yeah, just subliminal titles flashing on the screen. A lot of catalog Fox movies available for $10 or less. They basically just put a maroon stripe on the top of these tapes and uh, re-release them. I guess we could spare you the details of that since we've had quite a few selections on the show so far. It's always just about the same thing, just repackaged. It's hard to know how to come at this film just because uh, I'm so close to it. And I think that that's why it's taken me so long to have it on the show is because I'm worried it's going to be such a love fest. At least for me. Like Die Hard. Like Die Hard. (laughs) Uh, Although with Die Hard, we both came in loving it. Yeah. For me, I had no relationship or experience with this movie before watching it. I personally try and space out movies like this that I know I will love forever. Like Die Hard, this. I still haven't had Scream on the show. That's a movie that I feel very strongly about. You know, it's one of those films that each time I see it, I notice new details, like a weird shirt that Gary Busey is wearing, or (laughs) some little throwaway line of dialogue that I'd never noticed. I just find it to be this endlessly, like, quotable pastiche of amazing one-liners and action sequences, and... Just kind of perfectly cast leads. You mean Gary Busey, Keanu Reeves, and Patrick Swayze? I would actually say it's my favorite performance, each of those three. Keanu Reeves, too? I mean, a lot of it has to do with just the context of the movie. I feel like it'd be a lesser film without him. Because he's, he's kind of stiff, and I don't know if that's his interpretation, like what he was doing with his character. But if you watch him, not just when he's in a wetsuit... Watch how he walks and watch his arms. They don't really swing naturally. Like he just seems like he feels a little self-conscious in each moment. Well, here's the thing. I agree with everything you just said, but in my opinion, that makes this movie better and more interesting. (laughs) Keanu Reeves was someone that Catherine Bigelow really pushed for. Like they wanted a more conventional leading man. I mean, this is before Speed and The Matrix and John Wick more recently when Keanu Reeves was thought of as like a bankable action guy. It might have been because of Bill and Ted. I think that it's kind of brilliant casting because he is kind of this empty vessel That you can, you know, you said it's like the Bella Swan of the movie. But not that bad. Yeah, like, like, essentially, he's a little bit of a blank slate. He's also an interesting counter to Patrick Swayze, because Patrick Swayze's kind of wild and untamed and has a little bit crazier hair and he's a little rougher around the edges where Keanu Reeves is just so smooth. Well, yeah, he's a straight arrow. He used to be a quarterback. He uh, blew out his knee. He has this injury that's later exploited. Whereas Bodhi sort of represents the opposite of all that. He's just kind of this anarchic figure that's clearly seductive to someone like Johnny. Yeah, talking of casting, I was impressed with Lori Petty's casting. I was really happy with that because I feel like normally, especially like in 1991, you would have seen a Baywatch style, you know, blonde, who's really hot and super curvy, looks a little bit like Pam Anderson kind of type cast in her role. But 
they picked someone who is a little bit more unconventional. Like she's beautiful, but she had short hair. She's a little bit flat chested, but really still really slim and lean and stuff. But she's not she's not hyper feminine, which made her a little bit more interesting. Yeah, and again, I think that's Catherine Bigelow. Um, I think it's a great choice because it's the opposite of what you'd expect, and I think the opposite of what was written in LF's screenplay. I mean, I think that Tyler was very much written, like you said, like sort of a Baywatch-type character. And it's kind of interesting, too, because you see the male gaze turned on her, where she's, you know, she gets out of her clothes and changes, and Keanu's watching her like a creep. They kind of, they do sort of exploit women's bodies a little bit, but they're also exploiting the men's bodies a bit. And the men, you see a little bit of that male gaze on some of the men too, which also kind of makes this a little bit more interesting than your average action movie. This is ultimately really a bromance between Bodie and Johnny Utah. And a lot has been made of that. I mean, Point Break Live, that touring production, really played up the homoerotic aspects of it. And granted, like, it's... A lot of shirtless guys hanging out and <laughs> being being bros. And I think that it's it's ripe for that kind of dissection. I think that Top Gun is another sort of super testosterone-fueled movie that very much seems like a love story between Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise more so than Kelly McGillis. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I'm thinking of Baby Driver again. Lori Petty, as interesting as her casting is, she still didn't have a ton to do. She's kind of a device for Keanu Reeves to help him get into the group and then later to to kind of drive him in his uh, sort of final battle with Patrick Swayze. And then in Baby Driver 2, you've got this whole heist thing going on. You've got a young guy that just wants to do the right thing. And a lot of his motivation is kind of tied around this pretty girl that he's into and She's, again, not a super active character, but at least Lori Petty had more to do. Than... Well, yeah, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from with that, but I feel like with Tyler, she has interests outside of Johnny Utah. Yeah, you know? she has her own life, and that's that's established. Yeah, I mean, she's a much better surfer than Utah is. Like, she sort of has her life already set. She's fine without him, whereas I feel like the big flaw of Baby Driver is that character is just kind of waiting for this guy to come into her life to give it meaning, you know? Yeah, and then even when he turns out to be probably not a great part of her life and is going to possibly completely ruin her life, this is in Baby Driver, she doesn't draw a line, whereas Lori Petty draws a line. When she realizes that Keanu Reeves has been lying to her, she shoots at him, like yeah. she's done. So she she's a lot more empowered, even though technically she's fairly easy to remove from the script like if you want to do a rewrite without her there it's not that hard to wrangle sort of the way into this world and he definitely falls for her that seems like a genuine thing but at the end of the movie it's not quite resolved if they're still together or not yeah it's really not clear they kind of end up i mean it's like you said this is really a movie about keanu reeves and Patrick Swayze and the relationship that they have. I mean, the final scene of the film is them sort of coming to terms and yeah. Patrick Swayze going off to die in the waves. So we, we've sort of touched on Patrick Swayze's character a little bit, but I think that this is really the key to the movie is his performance and his character, because 
I feel like I almost feel uncomfortable calling him the villain of the movie. Like it doesn't feel right, even though yeah, technically he is. He's such a seductive figure. You can see why this would be a fun world to be a part of. You know, going on these yeah. trips out at night to go surfing. Well, and, and why Kiana has that temptation to kind of go to the other side, right? Yeah. He's, I mean, he's almost like a devil figure that's kind of seducing him into his world. Yeah. But he doesn't seem outwardly malevolent. He even at one point says, man, I hate violence. I hate this. This isn't me. Uh, and he seems very conflicted when he has to yeah. shoot that guy in self-defense during the robbery. And yeah, He's not conflicted enough for me. So one of the interesting things about Patrick Swayze's character, though, is that he's kind of this leader and he's this magnetic center of this group and he's seen as really chill and mellow and he's got things figured out and he he has this vision of what life is and how to live life to the fullest and yet in their their final bank heist you you kind of see him break a little bit as things are going wrong and he sees his friend dying because of, you know, through consequences of what he led them into. And you kind of have this moment of, like, where he's realizing that he doesn't have it all figured out. And he's really vulnerable. And you sort of see that he's really been naive all this time. And he's kind of having to confront that a little bit. Yeah, it almost seems like he's in denial. I mean, he spends his whole life on the edge. But I feel like that's the moment when he really goes off the edge. And yeah. people die for the first time. His character is so much more interesting than Johnny Utah. I think that part of the reason Patrick Swayze has top billing here, I always find it interesting when the villain is billed above the hero in movies. Like another example, like Training Day. Like it's always yeah. when the villain is more interesting and is kind of the, the big draw to the movie. In defense of this film, though, I mean, he was a lot more famous at this point. Keanu yeah. was still really early in his career. I mean, Swayze was coming off Ghost, which is the biggest critical... I mean, well, maybe not critical, but it was certainly the biggest box office success of his career. Man, and that that's the other thing I was just thinking. It's really, it's really weird to see Swayze playing a bad guy because I'm so used to ha having him as the hero and that you're really rooting for him. And not being able to root for him feels sort of twisted, too. You sort of are rooting for him, too, in some <laughs> way. I mean... I find myself wishing that he he gets away at the end, <laughs> but maybe that's just me. It's it is kind of heartbreaking to see him crushed under that wave. But at least he doesn't have to be in a cage. <laughs> maybe he swam to New Zealand after all. That's the other thing. He like, could have paddled like, to New Zealand. He could have done that it. That last scene is really random. Like we're we're set we're we're to believe that Keanu Reeves has just been following him around the world through these different waves. And then he's been working for the FBI the whole time while he chases down his vendetta against Swayze. He's gotten his hair nice and long. And he yeah, they switched and, hairstyles. Yeah. I find that very interesting at the end of the movie. And he, he walks in a in a major storm. He knows it's supposed to be the worst storm of the century. Well, it's the 50-year storm. We, right. We've heard Bodie the talking about century. it. Yeah. And he walks out in double denim. He's wearing this, like, super thick, shearling line denim jacket in a rainstorm i don't know i don't know why that detail really bothered me but it did because <laughs> then he's like fighting him in the waves in that outfit and i was like how are you even standing up 
Yeah, there's some there's some interesting uh, costume choices. I mean, part of it is just this is a rough era for fashion and music and a lot of different things. Yeah, it's true. 89, 90, 91, right in this era. Like, this is something I struggle with in License to Kill also, another one of my favorite action movies, is that just the songs were in, like, all this soft rock kind of stuff. Um, there is yeah. a good Hendrix track in there, but for the most part, the, the music that these characters are listening to is pretty bad. I didn't really pay attention to that, but it is kind of funny that you're commenting on the music, and the lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers was an actor in this. Oh, yeah. Anthony Kiedis plays Tone, part of War Child's gang. Uh, and gets shot up. Oh, yeah. He gets destroyed. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things you just have to forgive it, because it's a product of its era. One thing we haven't really talked about very much is Gary Busey as the veteran FBI agent Angelo Pappas, who kind of uh, brings Utah into this whole theory about the ex-presidents. What did you think of Busey's performance in this film? I thought he was really fun and quirky and definitely uh, very different than Keanu Reeves' character. I mean, he's chewing the scenery here. He's definitely hamming it up. But, I mean, you know, it could be a stock character. You know, the veteran police officer with the young rookie partner. And it is that. But he still just makes it so much fun with all his little inflections. Yeah, and he makes it a bit his own. It's not just... He, he's not phoning it in. I mean, it says a lot that one of the most memorable lines of this movie, which is probably an ad-lib, is when he yells for two meatball sandwiches. Which is still Utah, under- give me two. I still don't understand why that's a famous line. It really just, I think, is his delivery. Like, his choices and his line readings. I mean, similarly, like, these throwaway moments, like when uh, Patrick Swayze stands up against the rival gang, like Anthony Kiedis and those guys, and he says... Back off, War Child. Seriously. Just the, the line readings, I think, are what makes this so memorable. And I think that that's why the remake just sort of landed with a clunk. Because the remake seemed too dramatic. It seemed, the well, it trailer very, was ridiculous. Yeah. It seemed very flat, you know? It seemed very generic. Whereas this is all just big choices. Like that extended foot chase, you know? That famous scene where... Utah is going to shoot him, but he decides to shoot up in the air. I mean, that's that was another Edgar Wright movie, uh, Hot Fuzz, that referenced that scene. So he's definitely a fan, the Baby yeah. Driver director. But it's just like all these like little weird uh, eccentricities from this movie that have kind of permeated the film culture. Our cat doesn't agree, but she's more of a roadhouse girl. Also, I noticed that the trailer, uh, I mean, I know this is something we harp on a lot on tape heads, but the the trailer is very much loaded up with CGI. In the remake. Yeah, in the remake. Um, Whereas this, I mean, Patrick Swayze was doing his own skydiving. And these aerial shots of, there's a fluid shot where he falls out of, you know, when he sort of goes backwards out of the plane at the end of the Mm -hmm. movie. And that's all one shot, and you you know you the camera just kind of peeks out of the plane as he's falling. It's kind of crazy how much of this they really did for real, and all the surf stunts. Well, and he insisted on ha- doing most of his own stunts, including a lot of the surfing and the like, the chases and the fights and stuff, which is kind of nuts. But hey, if you want to do it, yeah. Um... Pretty incredible stunt work in this movie. Oh, and we forgot uh, John C. McGinley 
shows up as uh, the director of the FBI. Again, kind of a stock character, kind of the... He's kind of playing his Scrubs character, except he's an FBI director instead. I didn't really watch Scrubs very much because I don't like Zach Braff, but um, but I feel like, uh, again, like the angry FBI boss is such a stock character, like the angry police captain. Well, because he needs to hold them back a little bit, right? And they have to yeah. be rebels because they keep working on the case even though he's not approving of how they're doing it. Yeah, like the other FBI agents don't believe that they're surfers and this kind of stuff, and... There's this whole failed bust where they kind of blow Tom Sizemore's, like, undercover sting. But I still think that John C. McGinley, like, adds a great color to this movie. Because, he, again, he plays it so big and so broad. Like, these character actors really know how to approach this material. And I think it works because they're all pretty consistent about doing it, right? Like, mm-hmm. every... Everybody seems to be on the same page about the tone of the film. And that's yeah. what, that, that's one thing that's kind of nice because it, it, it leads to something that's consistent. Like there's this, the sequence where we meet Gary Busey and he's fishing bricks out of the bottom of the pool. It's kind of like Catherine... Blindfolded. Yeah, yeah, blindfolded. And just kind of like letting these characters have like long monologues about their outlook on the world. But particularly Bodie, but also Gary Busey has some really great extended speeches about, you know, how L.A. Is, is gotten too clean. and uh, I don't know anyone that would ever say that. Or no, he says the uh, the air got dirty and the six got clean. Just like weird uh, things like that. <laughs> kind of gross things that probably Gary Busey would say in real life. But uh, just what a joy is this film. We had just seen Baby Driver the yeah. other day. You felt that there might be some uh, connections. some connections there with like mm-hmm. the Austin Powers masks and things, but I mean, it, look no further than the Fast and the Furious, which has you know spawned this enormous uh, billion-dollar franchise. But the original movie is a beat-for-beat beat remake. I'd say probably more so than the new remake, judging yeah. judging from the trailer to the new Point Break, in that you have this sort of hunky but kind of vacant uh police officer you know keanu slash paul walker who's infiltrating this extreme world surfers slash street racers led by this charismatic leader swayze slash vin diesel and his way in is through the girl in this case it's uh Lori Petty as tyler right down to you know the johnny utah character having to kind of figure out whose side he's on like that whole yeah, struggle and like what is your real where, where do your loyalties lie and i'd say that the real difference between the two films is that in the fast and the furious paul walker chooses his friend and lets him go at the end whereas keanu reeves stays true to the law i don't know why i'm thinking of this but we were talking about fashion and things being dated earlier and there's a scene where they come in on Keanu and Lori Petty in the in bed together, and they're laying in black sheets. And it just felt so weird. It just didn't... The sheets just really put me off. Like, it just didn't feel normal, because I don't think most people have black sheets anymore. And it's one of those things like black toilets that you see <laughs> from the 90s. That like just, in Frasier. <laughs> like in Frasier. And it's just like, nobody does that anymore. Yeah, you know, that shot always gets me because I always forget that it's in there because overall the cinematography is great. Aerial photography of parachuters, all the surf stuff. There's a great scene where Tyler is patching up 
uh, Utah's face and it drifts from the mirror, their reflection in the mirror back to them and back and forth. And it's really well done. There's a single shot, kind of like a oneer, when uh, John C. McGinley is taking Utah through his whole like bank robbery unit at the beginning. But that one shot when they're slowly panning in on him and on like the black satin sheets. Yeah. But again, just like another uh, enjoyable color. And of course, last thing I'm going to say, football on the beach. It's a great scene. <laughs> you can't see, listeners, but uh, Lindsay's rolling her eyes as I say that. I just was... I understand volleyball on the beach. I understand all kinds of different sports on the beach. Why would you play football on the beach when you're, like, tackling people in the sand? And it's Johnny Utah... I guess so. Johnny Utah is wearing jeans, and have you ever heard of chafing? That's true, but this is how they figure out that he's number nine, that he was a Ohio State Buckeyes. And it's lit up by the lights of their Jeeps, which for some reason reminds me of the Lost Boys. There's a lot of connections between this and the Lost Boys in my mind. Wait, what other connections would you make? I don't know, just this whole idea of being part of this, like, beach culture that are kind of like bad boys that live by their own rules. I I guess Patrick Swayze's a little bit of a key for Sutherland in Uh, terms of the characters that they play in the respective films. And there's even sort of... I would say, like, a Tyler-type character. Star is kind of like Tyler in The yeah, Lost Boys. I like Tyler more than I like Star. Yeah, I, I would agree. All right, Sean. I think we know what you're going to say. <laughs> you might be surprised. But do you buy it, rent it, or tape over it? You know, the funny thing is, on this watch, I loved it more than I ever have before. <laughs> You buy it. You buy a couple copies. Um, give to your loved ones. Lindsay, what did you think? Spare my feelings. No, this is a strong rent it. I really enjoyed it. It was fun. It was unexpected. I liked that it kind of embraced being a little bit campy and ridiculous, so it made it kind of fun to watch. Overall, I would probably watch this again. It really does make me wish, like, more action movies were directed by women just because i mean we're seeing that a little bit with like wonder woman but i feel like there really is like a cool perspective that's brought to the table oh yeah i mean anytime you bring more creators in, everybody's going to bring a different view and a different feeling to something so having a little more diversity not even a little more a lot more please and who's creating these films you're gonna get something that's a little different and a little unconventional and it's gonna brighten up what we get to watch next episode we're switching back over to Lindsay's vhs collection Lindsay, have you decided what we're gonna watch next time all right we've seen a lot of meg ryan with tom hanks i think it's time to give her a chance to shine with someone else maybe a little billy crystal i like where this is going my next pick is when harry met sally Excellent pick. Another one of my favorite films, I would say. But who knows? Maybe on another rewatch. You never know. I don't know. I've seen it a lot of times. I know. I'm just trying to <laughs> force some suspense here. I feel I feel like one movie that I don't think we agree on is While You Were Sleeping. In hindsight, you say it, you like it more, but I remember while we watched it together, 
you had a lot of uh, a lot of opinions. I look back on it fondly, and I definitely prefer it to Sleepless in Seattle as far as Bill Pullman starring romantic comedies go. Yeah, that's true. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can find more of Will's music at sound, soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. You can learn more about us and our other episodes at tapeheadspodcast.com. You can write to us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time. 